Cusack up there. Uh, but they're not staring at you. I mean, Robin's kind of staring at me. Robin's kind of scared. I mean, Bruce is looking right at your back. He's like glaring daggers at your back. Yeah. He, he's pissed off about all the comments, the negative comments we've made about the, his new covers. Album. He heard and he's not happy. He's like, guys, like, I worked really hard on that. This, <laughs> it took me like a week to pick those songs. Right. And somehow like he knew that like 15 years ago, I was going to get a promotional item from my uh, days back in Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Working in the music department. Um, but Liam Finn is staring, like has stared at me ever since you've rearranged your apartment. I really dig this. You mean the Hootenwaddle Studios? Yeah. <laughs> I really dig. Live for the Hootenwaddle Studios. Yeah. Welcome to Liam Finn is staring at me. <laughs> It's the podcast nobody wants. Uh, but it, this is Mental Platypus, which might also be a podcast nobody wants. <laughs> but we do it anyway. Uh, I'm Jared. I'm Jason. You can find us nowhere online <laughs> at I'm, all. I Unless, do, I'm on do you, Facebook. <laughs> do you, well, I mean, but do you post about the podcast on Facebook? Uh, no. <laughs> so you're, you're, I, you're I, the I, only one of us that has any social media presence anymore, and you don't use I your, barely post anything else that i do i i think um i think you're ashamed i think you're ashamed of this podcast i'm not ashamed of this podcast i barely post about the other podcast i do i barely well, post the articles i write but but barely is more than none yeah <laughs> i think and i think on my linkedin profile it says that i co-host this podcast are you sure you've updated it did it does it still say what the fork <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I know I podcast my. I know I. I know I update my LinkedIn profile every once in a while, because you know someone they want me to work for them. If um, if you know whether or not Jason has updated, let me know his podcast on LinkedIn. Let us know with the hashtag Jason updated LinkedIn, and we won't see it anywhere because yeah. we're not on social media. Except for Jason on Facebook. Yeah. But yeah, send me a slip into my DMs and maybe I'll see it. I've never, I've, I've never thought that that line was um, you know, slipping into somebody's DMs. I, I, it's ridiculous. So, um, so I saw Creed, uh, I saw Creed 3. Yeah. And um, it was okay. But um, it, did, it did need Stallone. I think it was one of the things that was kind of missing from it. Mm -hmm. And I read this interview with Michael B. Jordan, uh, B for boss. Uh, sure. I actually don't know what it's for. Um, it's probably like Bennett or something. I don't know, but more like badass. Cause I mean, the dude is like, <laughs> it's so funny. It's like, there's a part in that movie where someone calls him old. And then the next scene, he's literally like pulling a plane with his pecs. <laughs> um, but um, they say they want to try. They're going to say they're going to probably make another Creed, mm -hmm. and they're going to and they want to get Sly back for the fourth one if they can. Yes, and I think that they should have him play the robot. <laughs> Yo, Adonis, <laughs> would you like a pressed coffee? <laughs> 
I think that would be great. Bring Stallone back as the robot that they cut out of the director's version. Yes, because apparently, apparently Sly hates robots. That'd be irony. So, <laughs> I just think that's just, I maybe know, maybe here's something we 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 have yet to. That's that's something though. I just want to mention that's something though, and that's an instance. I think we talked about this when it came out, but I do think that the director's version of of Rocky Four is a huge improvement. Like it makes it a a good movie. But now that. Robots are sort of back again. Sure. Maybe we merge franchises and we do Creed meets Megan. <laughs> because and, st- and Stallone's gonna follow a boy into the woods and like rip his ear off. <laughs> but there's a daughter. Like he spoiler has a, alert if you haven't seen yeah, Megan. Yeah. He there's a daughter. Like he has a daughter, mm-hmm. and um, his daughter's hearing impaired. Okay. Um, and I'm just still liking the idea of where Stallone is the Megan robot in this. <laughs> we made him too tough. <laughs> it's about feelings, you know. It's it's like it's a it's about feelings. You gotta we gotta. Uh, it's the algorithm of feelings and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, Adonis, <laughs> I am the tiger. <laughs> Rip his heart out. <laughs> he literally ripped somebody's heart out. Yeah. I mean, so James Wan Universal, if you're listening, I have a feeling you have a cross studio franchise thing sure. here on your yeah. hands. Just, you know. It would be great, though, if he was still called Megan. Oh, Megan. Um, actually, what? <laughs> no, uh, actually, there was a um, Pluto TV has a Rocky channel, which I'm sure has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that there's a Creed 3. Sure, yeah. You know, an adjacent franchise. And um, they're showing Rocky Balboa, which is the sixth movie. I haven't seen anything past four. I heard five is terrible. Yeah. But I heard Rocky Balboa was actually an improvement. It's it's pretty. I mean, it's it's pretty much just the same movie. It, it's just, but uh, Kristen was uh, Kristen was started watching it like they're doing the montage where he's once again drinking raw eggs and mm-hmm. doing like all the you know things that Rocky does in every movie. And sure, climbing up the stairs. And he's like, oh, which one is this? And I'm like, it's the first one, right? Like. No, it's the sixth one. They made a sixth one? <laughs> yeah. What happens in this one? Like They play like a video game simulation, and they show him as to be the toughest boxer in the world in his time. And ESPN thought it would be cool if they like, got an old man and a young man in a boxing <laughs> ring. The, um, my, my favorite... Like, there's the fact that like Milo Vemagila, Jack from This Is Us, or the guy from mm-hmm. Gilmore Girls, as she recognizes him, mm. is the fact that he's in it. Like any indication that it's took, it takes place at modern one. times. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You know, still, I think the comment on, on you know, does it really matter which Rocky movie it is? That's that's kind of, that's not that's not not true. Yeah, um, and I say this as somebody who has enjoyed the ones he's seen. Yeah, but well, at least and. and I, well, I don't endorse 
the 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 new Creed movie, I will give them props for doing something entirely their own. Sure, something totally different. Saying without a Rocky theme, without Rocky music, and like one mention of Rocky in it, like in passing. Sure, and that to me is. Um, I mean, it says a lot that they kind of want to make it their own, and um, yeah, they just didn't. Maybe they just didn't kick it off right. But Rocky One, Rock, oh, Creed One, Creed Two, mm-hmm. better than they have any right to be. Sure. Yeah. My favorite reference to the the Rocky franchise is the Simpsons reference, um, where I forget I, I forget the exact situation, but I, I'm pretty sure that that. Um, Bart is caught, like in a lion arena or something like that, <laughs> and he's like he had, uh, but of course the it's the punchline to the fact that he uh, didn't learn his his Roman numerals, and all of the doors have Roman numerals on them, and um, you know he's he has to pick the right one, mm-hmm. um, he he opens one and there's lions there that's that's what I'm remembering anyway yeah. so he's like. Um, he's like, oh, what? He's he's like, he hits on the idea of the Rocky franchise. He's like, Rocky one, Rocky five plus Rocky two equals Rocky seven. (laughs) And he opens the door. It's the right one. He's like, Adrian's revenge. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh. That's that's my favorite Rocky <laughs> reference in anything. Oh my! But we're God. not here to talk about the Rocky franchise. We're here to talk about Jeff Tweedy's side projects. Yes, we are. We're getting Tweedy with it. We are. No, no, with more Nas. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the level of commitment I have to that bit. No, no, and, and further Nas. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, we're 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 in the in in the thick of it, as as the saying goes, uh, with another minus five album, the aptly called the minus five, also known as the Gun album, mm-hmm. uh, released in in two thousand six, and and featuring prominently uh, members of of Wilco, including Mr. Tweedy. Now. I uh in the in full order uh, interest of full disclosure did no research for today's episode. Right. So, which is, you know, and, slightly less than I normally do. And and full disclosure, I uh um I listened to the record several <laughs> times and um I have some questions that you're not going to be able to answer. Probably, but I might be able to because I do know a lot about this album. I'm going to uh, you know, if you'll vamp for a minute, I'm going to actually put on the album in the background. All right. So, uh ask ask your first question. Question the first. Question the first. So, why is it called the Gun Album other than because the Because there's a gun on the Right, but it also feels like it's a big long riff on happiness as a worm gun by the Beatles. Well, I mean, when you when you've got rifle called goodbye, which yeah. opens opens the album, um, and there's a line that says, "If happiness is warm, I'll take the fur." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean they know what they're doing. Yeah, no, I, that's and that's what like 
brought me to it. Like, not only like is it sound like a big long. Not only does like the whole song, the whole album feels like one big Beatles tribute, um, and with the references to, you know, the reference to happiness is a warm gun. Um, I I can't help but think this is just like a big riff on like one song. The entire album feels like it. It feels like there's a theme. Well, there's a, there's certainly a theme, and I'm I'm trying to find where I read this originally, but um, it's it definitely it feels like a man at its lowest point. Well, yeah, it's supposed to. It's his divorce album. Oh, is it? That's yeah. That's that's what. Um, well, and maybe. Well, that explains everything. Maybe this. Um, no depression review will illuminate that. Yeah. But nope, it does not. <laughs> uh, I thought I thought I'd give it a shot. Um, well, okay, but I I know that I've 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 read this before, and the thing is that it's 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 borne out by the second track, "Aw Shit Man." <laughs> And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, so we have to address this right up at the top because I feel the fact that there's a song called, oh shit, man. Uh, well, no, 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 no. The fact that just what you've said so far leads me to think that you may not have loved this album. No, I, I, I did like it actually. In fact, um, I, I think I might have a favorite song here. Uh, like top five song. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, off this record, uh, I did enjoy Cemetery Row quite a bit. Cemetery Row is pretty great, um, but yeah. So I, I guess I'll give a little context of just for me for this album because yeah. this is an album that I was anticipating. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I had or I, I sure that I would have already listened to. Uh, down with Wilco at this point mm-hmm. and I loved that album and I'm pretty sure that at this time I was probably the music manager at the Barnes & Noble that I worked at Yeah, and so I was at that point that was like the height of so 2006 I would have been 24 that was the height of my reading all of the major music magazines and all of the British music magazines just looking for new releases. Your and pastes, your mojos, yeah. your relixes. Yeah, all your of that. No depressions. Yes. Um, there was a time, too, uh, when I was also getting, like, looking for CMJ and looking through through that. Um, getting your sample CD. Yeah, exactly. Those were the days, man. Yes, I concur. Those were the days. But... So I, I, I definitely knew that this was coming and I saw, you know, again, if we just look at the guest list on this album. Oh, I'm looking got, right at it. It's free. Yeah. So we've got, of course, the, the core of the band is Scott McCoy, Peter Buck and Bill Rieflin. Right. We've got, and I think John Romberg as uh, the other core member, but we've got Jeff Tweedy, mm-hmm. John Strzok, Glenn Kochi, Mike Jorgensen, all Wilco. Mm-hmm. Um, Tucker Jackson, who I don't know who that is. 
Saw John Wesley Harding on there. John Moen from the Decemberists. Yep. Uh, Eric, Jim Telstra, Eric Lover, don't know those people. Colin Malloy from the Decemberists. Yep. John Wesley Harding. Kelly Hogan from, uh, well, being Kelly Hogan, but also being uh, part of Nico Case's band for a yep. long time. Morgan Fisher, don't know who that is. Uh, Sean Nelson from Harvey Danger Mouse. Yep. And then uh, Ken Stringfellow. So pretty, pretty. Oh, Mata Hoople, Morgan Fisher is from. Oh. Interesting. I did not know that. Certainly not a young dude anymore. No. Mm-hmm. But so. <laughs> I want I, when this album came out, I was stoked for it. Mm-hmm. I had like I had I had I had enjoyed. Um, there's unfortunately not much in the way of. Yeah. It's just guests and not really mm-hmm. liner notes. But um. Anyway, so like I said, I, I enjoyed down with Wilco. Um. And I was on the minus five train. Saw who was participating in this album. I'm like, this is this is an amazing guest list, uh, and I got it. And it opens with "Rifle Called Goodbye," and which is a total Beatles riff. It is, it is, but it's also, I think, it it starts in with the darkness. The I never meant to lie. This rifle called goodbye is all that I can shoulder anymore. I never meant to lie. This rifle called goodbye is colder than the one I held before. Is colder than the one I held before. Mm-hmm. This is definitely a dark album. Yeah. And and it's couched in all of these you know, this jangle pop. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's again a lot of references to to Birdsian riffs and Beatles stuff and mm-hmm. you know, but it's it. Much darker than yeah, little power pop going yeah. on right here. Oh yeah, like out here on the maroon. Yeah, um, but I, and I, I just I absolutely fell in love with this album when I heard it, and stuff like "Aw Shit Man," which you would just think is this fun mm. song, the way it's sung. Aw shit, man. <laughs> <laughs> But it's not. No, I found another girl that I had to love. Aw, shit, man. She's the kind of woman I've been so scared of. Aw, shit, man. Now I'm going to make her. Well, I'm going to make her. I've got to make her mine. Aw, shit, man. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be an asshole for the rest of my life. Aw, shit, shit, man. man. I'll never be forgiven by my daughter and wife. Aw, shit, shit, man. man. Um, And then... They say it's just another fucker with a midlife crisis. Aw, shit, shit, man. man. (laughs) But I'm a motherfucker with the midwife, Christ. Aw, shit, man. (laughs) Now I'm undertaking. I'm undertaking. It's undertaker time. (laughs) It ends with death. (laughs) Yeah. Aw, shit, man. In fact, the song that we just heard out there on the maroon is probably like the... I had six white Russians tonight, and two of them were people. Two of them were people. (laughs) It's not pretty when your best friend is a saloon, and you're always out there on the maroon. Like a pencil sticking in your neck, the feeling's getting creepy. It's not easy when you can't get off the balloon. 
<laughs> and you're always out there on the maroon. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it's probably the funnest song. <laughs> sometimes you feel like you haven't got a friend, but they're not so far away. Sometimes it feels like it's never going to end. But do you want to lose these days? <laughs> I mean, it's there's the, the tongue in cheek is everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, we're listening now to my life as a creep. The, mm-hmm. the, the chorus of which is no film treatment for my life as a creep. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know. I, I'm not exactly sure what to say about this album other than how much I unabashedly love it. This no, is it's not a good just, record. it's my favorite of the band for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it might be, you know, it, it's, it's one of those that's, you know how they used mm-hmm. to say, you know, Desert Island Discs, you know, what you'd take with you. This is the This one. is on there, yeah. for sure. Um, and it's nice to hear Hotel Sander again, like in the new, from, remember when we did the, the EP last time? Yeah. Well, now, that's what I was saying, was I, I, the, I, the better version of it is on this album. Yeah. Um, but, um... Why is this Desert Island for you, other than, like, it does sort of match the, um... I mean, well, these days, it's because it feel like it, um, you know, the the bleakness just completely uh, matches my life. <laughs> um, that's, that's a spirit. Yeah, I mean, that's, I'm just being honest about it, man. That's where I'm at. Um, and... I just, when you've got songs on there uh, that like cigarettes, coffee, and booze. Yeah. And that's, again, that's one where you'd think, well, they just mentioned booze on Down With Wilco because yeah. it's the days of wine and booze. That's exactly uh, the first thing I thought. And then I listened to the lyrics. And I was like, and exactly. It's a completely different song, completely different sentiment. And just the, your mama knew it. Now I know it too. Across the kitchen table, she barely looked at you. The paperbacks were piled up. She read them all right through, saying all you really need, cigarettes, coffee, and booze. Yeah. I was secretly hoping that with a gun was a Steely Dan cover. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. But Well, so we're, we're list, as we're listening in order here, we've got with a gun. Mm-hmm. Again, the the... The lyrics on this are so good. Mm-hmm. I'll kick your sister's ass. I'm going to take your brother's face and smash it in the grass. It's no wonder I am spiral bound. Guess I just want to I just want to be around. <laughs> but every day when I feel this way, I need somebody to say, "It's okay. Shoot some holes in my crow black sky," saying life doesn't really half suck most of the time. Um so getting on topic, this is topic. This is topic, but getting further into like why we're listening to this. What did Tweedy exactly contribute here? I I think he's he's on the new version of Hotel Senator, mm-hmm. um, and I, without being able to actually tell here because the uh, there's not a ton of information out there that I can find. Um, is that's, uh, I think that that's also them on twilight distillery yeah i felt that too like it was um and it seemed like it was to material row was definitely a decemberists 
like guest spot. Well, these are all written by McCoy. Okay. Um, but but no, that, by... but that, yeah, I mean, that makes sense that Decemberists being on on Cemetery Row, um, and that's a great. It's a perfect Colin Malloy song. Like it yeah. feels like it should be a Decemberist song. Well, he did the vocals, didn't he? He did. Yeah. 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 So, because it, I was like, well, this isn't Scott McCoy. And I go, why do I know this voice? I went, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit, man. <laughs> it's uh, Colin Malloy. Yeah. No. Why well, Colin Malloy's got one of those voices that I, I think it's one of those voices that. Is a total binary. You either love his voice or you hate his voice, mm-hmm. because it's so distinct. Do you, I don't you, even know what the hell his accent is. New England. Is that's he from it. New England. Well, yeah, but I don't. You know, there are other singers from New England. I don't think any of them sound like that. No, but he's like really New England. I guess I don't know. Yeah. Well. So, and it's just like um. Peter Buck's guitar, you you'll know it when you hear it. Like, but do you, are you a fan of Malloy's voice? I actually do like it. So I I was a fan of a couple of those earlier Decemberist albums. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I it, after a while, it just didn't do much for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have a lot of trouble with some of those more. It feels like I'm going to describe it as as like art school kid music uh where there's just a lot into theme and and a particular style and dress and um that sort of thing and that to me just feel felt like there was such a and a a, and this is coming from me a, a sort of pretentious kind of uh art school kid affect how did you make it through the Late, how'd you make it through indie rock? There's a lot of indie rock that I can't stand for those like, for those very reasons. You just describe well. For one, you describe pretty much every Talking Heads album. Well, but that's different. How so? To me, to me, that just feels different. Um, I don't know. It's it just. I mean, you got a bunch of art school kids putting together a theme around each record, which. God, not to mention you probably hate every Bowie album because it. But I can get for Bowie, and I'm trying to like see why. There's, there's, there's a there's, I don't. There's a specific brand of it though. It's just like the, and and I I guess I say this as a nerd too, but the the specific nerdiness of it, Mm -hmm. it that just it's like okay, I get it. It's not. you know, I, I get the conceit. I get that you're you're ironic. I get that you know this is whatever, uh, but it's there's such an affectation to it. Bowie, it 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 felt like art, but art in a way where he was. It, it was not like he was trying to put it on as a. Well, he no one ever done it before. He did right. Well, and, and in the in the as far as the Talking Heads go, it felt like a sort of modern art experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, that married like a sophistication with a sort of modern lover's yeah. simplicity, or at least early on. Yeah, and I don't know if Roxy Music kind of did it, especially like. Well, Split Ends had done it too. Yeah, but there's there's an earnest, there's a difference in the earnestness. I think, I, and I think the mm-hmm. Decemberists have a particularly over earnest brand of it. Oh, I think the Decemberists 
com when I compare, say, the Decemberists. Is it Twee? Is that what I'm thinking of? Well, when yeah, the Decemberists are definitely pre-Twee. Um, I mean, they come from the Bell Sebastian school of. Let's see. I I I really dig Bell and Sebastian. Yeah, up to a point. Yeah, but if you want to see talk about Twee, yeah, like how they haven't done like a Wes Anderson soundtrack yet. That is, is like, pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Decemberists, I think are definitely, I think you hit on the word twee, but I think the pretentiousness part, and I don't know why it doesn't bug me until now that you've brought it up. <laughs> um, and now I'm going to kill you. <laughs> You're welcome. I, I'm not. <laughs> is, um, Arcade Did I just fire. ruin the Decemberist for you? No, you haven't ruined oh. the Decemberist for me. You've ruined Arcade Fire for me. Oh, you're welcome. Because that is, and St. Vincent does the same thing, mm -hmm. where it's it's like um, it's like how like maybe I, I think of like the way Marin does his does his specials. Mm -hmm. It's like he, they, he each of these bands come up with an album and then they put like a show and everything oh, sure, yeah. around it. Yeah, now that you're saying that, I mean, I could definitely see that's why I, I can never, as much as I like St. Vincent and I, I really do like her music quite a bit, I can't seem to fully buy into it because of that very reason. Uh, like every album is this sort of mm -hmm. ironic statement or or a pretentious statement of something. Yeah, or with Arcade Fire, it's like social media and phones are ruining our, and technology are ruining our lives. Right. And like, it's literally pretty much the, the theme of every record since, um, since um, uh, Reflector that they've okay. done. It feels like anyway. So at least like it started earnestly with Funeral. Right. Um, it kind of felt kind of earnest with Neon Bible because I know when Butler it has um, it had his problems with religion as a former Mormon. Mm -hmm. um, and the suburbs, I mean, that's like the apex of it. And then like every album since then has been trying to recreate the suburbs. And it's about how in each one it's sort of like this riff on social media is bad and everything and St. Vincent kind of does the same thing and um like um with um not it kind of hit the apex with with her with shit uh Strange Mercy mm -hmm. is that the one like the one and then the self-titled one with um birth in reverse um i think that was her, that was her peak and mm -hmm. then she's been kind of trying to do it ever since to pretty cool results um the day's home is like completely different yeah, and I like the the aesthetic of that one. So you're um, you're talking, yeah. Strange Mercy is right. Yeah. I mean, I. But what's the one in between that? What's the one after Strange Mercy? There's the it's the self title and then Mass Education. Yeah, Mass Education. Like that well, one. So really we're talking upset. about breakup albums. Mass Education is a breakup album. Yeah. Um, or well, it's. I'm sorry. 
Mass seduction. Mass mass, seduction. I believe mass education is actually um, a. Uh, I think she re-recorded things, uh, stripped down. Mm-hmm. But Daddy's Home is like way different from like. I think she. Yeah, mass education is the is the is the second one that she just did stripped down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then like, Daddy's Home is like just this whole totally personal album. There's an aesthetic behind it. Mm-hmm. That she created, but it's like kind of totally different than anything else she's done. And yeah, it'd be kind of cool if like all these indie kids who got signed to major labels would kind of like take a page out of her book. Now, mind you, I realize that people don't like Daddy's Home. I like I like Daddy's Home. I like Daddy's Home just fine. I think it's I, I it's I like it quite a bit actually. But I, you know, it's. <laughs> It's like Creed Three. She tried to do something different than she had done before. Yeah, well, but she's somebody who's tried to do something different with every album, and people shouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah, it's just happened to take like a hard, kind of you know, and I I think enjoyably kind of funky dance turn. Mm-hmm. There's I, just there's a lot of um, yeah, there's a lot of soul to it for sure. Mm-hmm. I. I yeah, I don't know why people don't like the album so much. I it actually really bothers me that people don't like that album as much as they should. I don't, um, I, I I enjoyed it when it came out. I still will listen to yeah. it occasionally, but honestly, I mean, Mass Seduction I listen to quite a bit, and Actor I listen to. Quite oh, a Actor bit. is pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then, but like in uh, Bowie. Even the Beatles, to a degree, with Sgt. Pepper, I think bringing it back to minus five and the sound of this record, the Beatles were kind of doing this with like aesthetically. Yeah, I mean, Sgt. Pepper's is kind of a concept album, or at least it's a progenitor to the to the concept album kind of deal, and yeah. that's probably one of my least favorite Beatles albums. It's not my. I mean, it's not Abbey Road. Nothing ever will be. I, I know. I know. All right. The we'll kids take, like just, Let's take a quick break and list our our top top Beatles, okay. like in order. Top Beatles albums. Because you I, you were just about to say kids like to say Revolver. I've always thought Revolver. Oh, was Revolver's my great. Beatles. Record. No, Abbey Road's number one. So I th- I think for me it's um, it's Revolver. Abbey Road. White album, help. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Rubber Soul. Yeah, I'll finish up with Rubber Soul as the top. I five. think for me, and I know uh, it's definitely Abbey Road. I really actually like Let it Be. I That's know. Just, I hate the production on that. It just is always, I mean, especially, I, I just think that Phil Spector ruined Long and Winding Road. Fair. But I also really... Get Back. Uh, get Back great, is so great. Great track, yeah. Get Back is so great. Um, the two of, two of Us. Two of Us is a great, yeah. Well, we were talking about covers over breakfast. I, um, I really dig, you know... The the I Am Sam soundtrack has a mix of how successful the covers were, but I really like the Amy Mann Michael Penn cover of Two of Us. Yeah, and like I used to play that 
I used to play that for the boys and um, when they were like growing up and like, well, they're, they're still growing up they're, they're still quite small yeah, yeah I know but they're growing like weeds man like weeds but I used to play two of us for Becky and Tucker when they were changing diapers and stuff when when they couldn't there's uh, some great imagery in that yeah I, that's um, and I, I like Rubber Soul and I like Revolver it's my top five so I mean it's Sergeant Pepper doesn't even reach like top five for me and it's funny it's like they do so much with that record mm-hmm. um and it barely registers with me and i think mccartney loves what he did with that record so much he tried to do a gamut band on the run mm. so because you can't tell me that like 1985 is his second attempt at doing a day in the life yeah <laughs> Yeah, especially the especially the end when like it all culminates. Um. So, but, um. I I just I think of day in life every time I turn on my Apple computer because <laughs> it goes, boom. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> um. Anyway. Um. Or, um this stuff when. If, um, we were talking about art, yeah, art we're music, art. basically, yeah. and, and what ends up turning me off of the, uh, what ends up turning me off of the uh, of the Decemberists. But ultimately. like, but I, I was going to say that with the with Bell and Sebastian too. I definitely get there are times when I I really love their stuff, and other times where I'm just like, this is too, mm-hmm. too cutesy. Oh, I remember, I saw them in Austin. Um, I think in twenty four. Sounds right to me. And they did the boy with the Arab strap. Oh, yeah, one of my favorites. Yeah, with a choir, with a children's choir. Um, Interesting. Which that was, you want to talk about Twee? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, um, that's Twee as fuck, dude. <laughs> So twee as fuck. <laughs> Absolutely. So um but um Ah, here we go. Magnet. That helped me out. Magnet magazine, which was another talking about oh back my in the gosh, day magazines. I, I still I still have a lot of my magnet magazines because of who was on the cover. That was the magazine I wanted to write for when I when I was in school. I never did. Yeah. Um, so this is an uh, interview with Magnet Magazine from around, uh, from 2009, which was actually when, uh, the Young Fresh Fellows came back mm-hmm. and released their first album in like a decade or something. And, um, which was produced by Robin Hitchcock, which was pretty cool. Uh, let's see. He's staring at me approvingly. Yes. Yes. See, that's another one where the eyes will follow. That's what I was telling you earlier. It's like he's staring at me. Everyone, like, oh yeah, you know. <laughs> it's like they think okay. to him, Jason. <laughs> so this is since that 2003 interview. You because uh, Magnet talked to him back in 2003. Mm-hmm. You've gone through a divorce, which seemed to influence the Gun album. Um, how are you? How are things going for you personally these days? Does the new minus five reflect your mood as much as the last one did? 
And he says, personally, in general, things are, are really good. I see the new minus five is emblematic. So this is talking about Killingsworth. Um, the Gun album was definitely an album about painful transition. So, yeah. Ha! Vindicated. <laughs> Thank you, Magnet Magazine. And uh, let's see. Shout out to the writer. Come on. Tell me who wrote you. <laughs> Matt Hickey. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt Hickey. Yeah. All right, but let's get back to the minus five. Yeah. So, so the last song we listened to. Well, and I just you, you had asked me about why why this is a desert island disc yeah. for me, and to me it's because there's no like every song is a is a fucking bang, banger. They all slap, mm-hmm. like it, to a T. Like fuck, as the kids say. Whatever they fuck, they honk, they uh, <laughs> they bark. Um, they meow. <laughs> what other things? Do this made me really purse. <laughs> yeah, they they fornicate. <laughs> this record really purrs, man. Yeah, this um, this record is an all-you-can-eat buffet at the Golden Corral. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that doesn't sound like a good thing. <laughs> I've never it's been to the Golden the Corral, but yeah, <laughs> you pay for it later. <laughs> it definitely was good at the time, though. <laughs> I just it's it's a, it's one that I go back to a lot. It's one that uh, I have a lot of songs on. I, I think I've mentioned before. I have this kind of like massive playlist of just called Drive Time Radio, where I just throw, just constantly add songs that I love to it, mm-hmm. and then put it on shuffle when I'm driving to and from work, and. Um, and there's a lot of songs from this album that are that are on that playlist, and I'm happy every time they pop up. Oh, I like it. I, again, like I like it, but I had no idea. Like Cemetery Row is definitely like one of my favorite songs. Just period. I really just enjoy it. Like it just kind of took me by surprise as I was driving around yesterday. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, like this is a minus five song. This is so unlike everything else that I've heard up to this point. And, um, and just as with every minus five record I've heard up to this point, it does feel very, I mean, songs like this one, Mm -hmm. I can definitely hear the Wilco influence a little bit. There's, there's, uh, the noise part of it for sure. This was, this was around that again, Mm -hmm. Ghost is Born, but Yankee Hotel, but it's less prominent. Yes. On this record, it's yeah. like, and maybe a lot of it has to do with the fact that there are so many people, yeah, on this record. There's a lot of people on this record, so it's not like a transition record just for Scott, but maybe for this. Sounds like here's what kind of what I picture though is that this is Scott McCoy going through an interesting time in his life. You know, possibly midlife crisis thing, definitely breaking up his family mm-hmm. and 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 pursuing another woman, going through some very dark times. This seems like an emotional support album. Yeah. From like the songs are what he's going through, mm-hmm. and the band, you know, the band playing them. It's like it's it's his buddies. It's like let's work through this shit. Yeah. We're so. we're here for you. There's like this this huge cast of people who are just like we love you, Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not a creep. Right. But I really like playing a song about you being a creep. <sighs> yes. Um, 
Speaking of hotel senator. Yeah, I there's this is where this is why I was saying that the album version is superior to the mm-hmm. to the um, to the EP version, and it's it's just the production of it, mm-hmm. just the vibe of it. It's like the germ of it was there on the EP, and the finished product is so. It's just a perfect gem of a pop song. Yeah. It's it's a mood song. It's got it's got this kind of like dark mood, and then it just opens up into that, you know, hotel senator, hotel senator. It's definitely like a late '60s mod song. Like, it just I I love it. So it's really great. Yeah. So, um, anything else you want to add about this album? Yeah. I just, it is, it's just, I, I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is one of those where I, I can't, it's, it's what makes me happy we're doing this particular um, kind of, I don't know, side tangent of mm-hmm. Tweety's career is to get into some of these projects where it's not like there's going to be a huge mental platypus bump or whatever. Suddenly Apple music is going to have a ton of downloads of, of the gun album. But if however many listeners we have that have not heard this album are intrigued by just how, um, like my gushing enthusiasm over it to, to listen to it for the first time and to Mm -hmm. be introduced to this, this gem of a pop record that's, that's cut through with these, these dark haunting lyrics that are also clever and funny, like gallows humor at the same time. Yeah. Then I, I will be happy. Well, I got to ask, which is your favorite of the ones that we've done. Like this is the end of the minus five portion of getting to right. with it. Correct. Yeah. Cause I think from here we might have one more, we might have one more. Um, I know we've got one more loose fur album to cover. Yep. And then we've got one more. Um, Which we're doing with our friend Chris. I think we might have. Oh, yes. Spoiler alert and surprise. Because uh, <laughs> I don't think knows. we announced that. <laughs> but the. I don't think we have another Golden Smog album to do, but we might. Uh, and otherwise, we're getting into essentially Tweety solo. Yeah. Uh, from here on out. So this is this is kind of the end of that of that period where it's he's part of a sort of quote-unquote super group or part of a backing band mm-hmm. oh no because we've got one more to talk about with um uh the seven worlds collide album yep well that's yeah and that's that's fucking exciting i am looking forward to talking about that but this is like too. as far as minus five goes this is yeah. the end of that yes section so i gotta ask what's your um between this and down with Wilka. Oh, it's this. It's this. It's this. Hands down. I knew the answer before, I, mean, and, and before this, I asked the question. I think minus five period, this is hands down my favorite. Yeah. It's the one I go to the most often. I like Killingsworth quite a bit, but I haven't gone to it a lot. Uh, the new one, or the newest one, I should say, Stroke Manor, is pretty solid. Mm-hmm. But um, no, this is the album that I that I always turn back to, and mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely in pretty frequent and heavy rotation. Yeah. This is about my third... Fourth or fifth time listening to it now, and I think I like Donald Wilco a lot, and it's probably and but I'm this one. I think because it's such a nice mix, yeah, of musicians that 
wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily put in the same room together, and they're obviously not in the same room together, right? But, um, I'm I really like it. Um, so I and it did feel like at the beginning, like when I I I was half joking, of course, when I said like it's like a riff on one Beale song, but like I didn't know. Scott McCoy was going through a midlife crisis. Yeah. So I mean, I think what even if you don't know it though, it's the the subject matter of the album. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's dark. the one we're listening to right now, "I Bought a Rope," which. Um, oh yeah, I, this this uh, yeah, I never want to let you go, and that's why I bought this rope. Yeah. Which I mean, you could you could take that in so many in so very ways. many ways yeah are they tied down is he threatening to hang himself so that mm. they don't go um you know yeah i yeah i this is definitely a tweety you can i can hear him yeah yeah so even if it's not a full wilco backing the tweet is definitely sprinkled throughout mm-hmm. um i don't this kind of album also, to me, always teeters on the the verge of falling apart under the weight of its own guests. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've got that many people in there, there tends to, it tends to lose a sort of centrality, a, a theme. Whoever's supposedly leading it seems to kind of like not be able to hold it together. Mm-hmm. And McCoy just does it masterfully. He yeah. takes all these disparate people. Um, there's a lot of different styles in there. Uh, as far as the musicians are concerned and a lot of different eras and so forth and he manages to pull it together in a way that to me every time sounds like this is a band that's been playing together for years can I ask um, is this how um, is this how Buck and Colin Malloy met probably so because Buck produced well definitely played um on that last December's album, or that second to last one, the big one. <sighs> like, uh, the last one I remember is Love is the King. That might be it. It's the one with the sun and the yellow. Yeah, album cover. that's Love is the King. Yeah, because that's Buck everywhere. Like, um, Down by the River is the song I'm thinking mm-hmm. of. That is, that is a Buck jam. That is the first thing I was like, oh, is that Peter Buck? playing on this record sure shit was so um so i was just kind of oh like, no i'm sorry not love is the king love is the king is the jeff tweedy album the king is dead the is king the december yes um but yeah that's the one you said down by the water yeah down by the yeah, water that's that on is there because that is that is a buck that's definitely buck on guitar yeah, it became this was the, this was a huge hit for them. I rem- and I remember this being a huge hit, and I remember listening to it and being like, "Really, this is the one that broke this band?" Because uh, it's so REM ish. Yeah, and, and it is. Um, there's there's a it, and I remember thinking that at the time too, but that it's it definitely borrowed liberally from from that REM sound. Mm-hmm. But um, after that, uh, Molly started writing books. Right. Kids' uh, books, from what I remember. Like yeah, young, they're good. I re- I've read two of them. Um, and his wife and the illustrator mm-hmm. um, had cancer. So oh, yeah, yeah. Took an extended 
leave. Um, but, um, I, I, I kind of want to revisit the, the Sunburst again. I just, I, I might have to dive back in, but I, and I'm looking through their discography now, and it's it's those early albums that formed that. By the time they got to the Crane Wife, I was kind of like, okay, Crane the, Wife, I the the gimmick is kind of wearing thin to me. Yeah, and then the King is Dead kind of was like, and Hazards of Love, I remember that one yeah. being a big deal when that came out too. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I I feel like it's it's been so long since I've listened to them, and also they suffer a little bit from um, my ex wife was a big fan of those first couple of albums and had like a huge crush on Colin Malloy. Uh, and so that, that was definitely a period of time. She was also a huge Smiths fan. And, uh, there was, on. there's, well, there was a period of time after we, we broke up where I just couldn't listen to some of that music anymore. Yeah. So, so well, you couldn't support Johnny Marr. <laughs> well, and I came back around to it. Yeah. It took a few years, but I came back around to it. Yeah. And I don't, you know, it's interesting I, I, I definitely, very definitely can pinpoint certain music with certain relationships, and I have that kind of tied to it. And I, I find that that's not the same with everybody. That, like, they're, for some reason, they're just able to independently enjoy music from, you know, whatever point in their life. And it's a sense memory to me. I, I can throw on a Decemberist album, and I'm right back in the early aughts, having a terrible time with my ex-wife um same thing with a smith album. every time i throw on morrissey it's like she just pops right into my head that's sad i have uh, most of the relationships no one's really broken up with me i usually find some way to fuck it up <laughs> so like i feel okay listening to music sure yeah. so there's I think the only one I can think of would be one girl I got me into White Stripes. Oh, okay. And I don't and White Blood Cells in particular, and I that's the one I think of. I closely associate with this gal, but mm -hmm. I don't. I'll move on. So I know I'm 45. It's too old to not listen to good music. Well, and that's that's what I'm saying. Like, I I can go back and listen to that stuff now and enjoy it, but it's just it is always going to be tied to specific memories. Yeah, to me, the Cure, I I definitely associate with more of a group of friends in a certain time, um, in my life. I think I don't. I, I think I don't necessarily tie music to so much relationships, but definitely people and places where I've been mm -hmm. um, have had um, a really good time. And in fact, it, we're, I was telling my wife that uh, about my the, wife, my wife, <laughs> you gotta go room. I was telling Kristen that about um, time. I, we were talking about tenacious D. Sure. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I remember I, they opened for Weezer and I um, knew all the words to effort gently. <laughs> and I sang them <laughs> out loud. <laughs> and some dude, some bro behind me goes, Yo, check out this dude. He knows all the words. <laughs> and 
everybody just kind of steps back a little bit. Like, <laughs> like no, no, it's a good song. This is a this is a pro lady song. <laughs> so, all right. But anything else you want to add to this? Well, just to to wrap it up, I I would say to this point, as we're as we're kind of talking about, you're talking about sort of where we are to date with this this run of of discussions on on Tweety's side work. And this is definitely my favorite that we've covered so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of affection I have for some of those earlier records that we talked about, but this this one, uh, and I found it, it came to me at a time that I, I, I really mm-hmm. was receptive to it. And it's one that over the years, unfortunately, I've had a lot of occasion to return to and uh, just be like, uh, Cemetery Row is not such a bad place to go. <laughs> I'm gonna go walk. Oh, but that's right, man. All you really need is cigarettes, coffee, and booze. I'm gonna go walk to the party store right now and I'm gonna <laughs> get a pack. Along with some Jack Daniels and a cup of Senka. <laughs> I thought I thought you were gonna say a cup of sadness. <laughs> Senka sadness, same thing. Yeah. <laughs> if you you're drinking Senka in this day and age. Yes. I concur. But no, that's, I mean, that's it. I just, I do love this album. And if you haven't heard it yet, I can't endorse it strongly enough. I think it's one of the best things McCoy's ever done. And I'm, Mm. I'm thinking of, of all of his great work and the Young Fresh Fellows as well. Um, I, to me, I don't know if he's ever topped this. And I mean, while I can barely hear a trace of Tweety, like the other records we've listened to up to this point, I can point to like a certain, to the the Wilco timeline, and I I, I think there are, there might be some people that that would say, well, this of the Tweety involved albums you've done, this is the least Tweety involved. Yeah. Uh, to which I say, oh, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's my podcast. <laughs> no, to if a- his name's in the back of the record, we're talking about it. <laughs> Which some other person might be like, well, there's a lot of records you missed it. And I'll be like, fuck you, too. <laughs> so You want to do again tweet with it? Then you make your podcast. This might be, you know, I, I, I could concede that this was a little bit of an indulgence to include this album in, in the mix. But fuck it. Uh, it's, it's a great album. <laughs> I wanted an excuse to talk about it. And the theme, you know, fit for me. So. Oh. And me being a dumbass, I'm like, uh-huh. I, 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 I'm too dumb to say I, no. I might be taking advantage of your lack of, of, of Tweety side project knowledge. Yeah. Um, to, so. But no, for the most part, you know, this is the only one that I might concede where he's the, the least involved. But, but it's the there's, one I'm there's definitely... still a lot of involvement with it. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, there are tracks that were full on recorded in, in Chicago with Wilco. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's... To me, that qualifies it, and it's it's a great fucking record. Yeah, I'm not arguing that. That, that I'm not, we'll never argue with that. Damn it's right you record. won't, because I'll say fuck you too. <laughs> Find a new co-host, <laughs> one that will do everything I fucking say. Damn right. <laughs> what is this difference of opinion shit? <laughs> Agree to disagree, fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna find me another Siskel. <laughs> That's <laughs> fuck <right>. you, Ebert. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, 
But yeah, that's that's it. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> listen to the minus five. <laughs> all right, what's your recommendation other than listen to the minus five? Okay, my my recommendation. For, well, there's a couple of things. One, it's it's not. It's not really a recommendation, but I had kind of wanted to talk about it because I, I have been, as as was noted in, in a previous episode, I do have a Blu-ray collection of the complete uh, Quantum Leap. <laughs> so I've, I've been watching that recently and it holds up, uh, you know, especially for the time that it, I, th- there are some things where I'm just like, this could be really cringeworthy now. He's playing an old black man um you know or he's 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 playing a woman uh but how is he supposed to understand so it's it's interesting if you think about the, i mean and the conceit of it of course if you're not familiar with quantum leap and if all you've seen is the new reboot of it then also fuck you guys but um <laughs> this is uh, i'm sure subtitling this jared alienates the entire audience <laughs> Yes, because if there's one thing our audience is known for is reboots. <laughs> How much they love reboots. They love series. their fucking reboots. Goddamn yeah. millennials and their fucking reboots. Like, and if you all like the Magnum P.I. reboot, fuck you too. Goddamn right. <laughs> Zeus and Apollo for life. <laughs> oh, my God. If y'all like Picard, eat a dick. <laughs> Star Trek Discovery, I'm glad it's ending. Goddamn right. <laughs> Fuck this shit. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah, Quantum Leap. Leap. <laughs> Quantum Leap. I, I, the conceit of it, of course, being that, you know, he... he exchanges places with somebody you know as as he's leaping around through time and of course he's also only um only he's restricted to anywhere within his lifetime so from birth to to the whatever his present day life uh lifetime is he can leap anywhere across that timeline and it, it's it's really it i i think it's it, it's it was a really clever conceit and they it gives them space to tackle a lot of um you know, a lot of, for instance, civil rights. Their 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 uh, their civil rights episode was definitely a a, a pastiche of uh, of of driving Miss Daisy, which came up mm-hmm. earlier in conversation as well. Uh, but in a bad way, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it's it's just. There, there are moments that definitely could be cringeworthy, but I, I feel like, and, and this, you got to keep in mind that it's an, it's a show that took place or that you know originally aired. Nineteen eighty-seven. Right? I'm sorry, I'm boring you so oh, much. Oh no. Um, let's see. All right, so it originally aired from 1989 to 1993. Okay. Um, and so I mean, this is this is the you know, end of the end of the eighties height of, of, of commercialism and, con- and conservatism. Um, you know, we just finished up the Reagan years and we're getting into Bush one and then leading to the very beginning of the Clinton years. And that time period, this, this was, this was pre wokeness, you know, this yeah. was pre, 
um, pretty a lot of things. And the way that they tackle it, I think, while it wouldn't be done the same today, is is pretty impressive for what they got away with discussing at the time. Yeah. And um, and then also sometimes it's just they have the fun episodes where he pops into a, a you know character that uh, that or a, a guy who's a private detective that just happens to have a striking resemblance to Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a very much uh again pastiche on kind of like that that noir era of of a Casablanca riff and yeah. uh, well I mean that, like that. that's why I always liked about the show is like it was like no show was the same. Yeah. And you never know when that next sleep is gonna be the leap home. And it yeah, well spoiler alert, it, was, it like, never was. <laughs> they never made they never made it home. Son of a bitch. Uh I remember that being a particularly sad series finale i don't i barely remember it don't spoil it for me because you know you never know when they might watch it again that there you go that's true and then also I have peacock so i mean um anything can happen dean stockwell is great in it and i i just having it the thing if you scott bacula seems like to me also somebody who just got such a, a raw kind of uh his I don't know why his career just didn't take off because he he is what so. What are you talking about in this show? What are you talking about? Well, Scott okay. Bakula not only made Quam, but he was in a Star Trek show. Yeah, he was in an Oscar-winning movie. Yeah, uh, American Beauty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The man's everywhere. I He's don't in know. NCIS. Yeah, that seems to me like it's the Mark Harmon trajectory, though. And I, f- I think Bacula's head and shoulders above a Mark Harmon. You know, you're you're absolutely right. But, I mean, also, money talks. Yeah. So. That's true. I, I could mean, do with some Harmon money. <laughs> I mean. I wouldn't turn that down. If you Are you noticed, listening, producers of NCIS? I'll take your, a lead in your show. I mean. If you've noticed, or maybe haven't noticed, is that Mark Harmon is married to Pam Dauber. Yes. And have you seen Pam Dauber anywhere? No. Do you know like how, why? How, how far out? Do you know why? Because she's yeah. spending Mark Harmon's money. <laughs> His NCIS money. And now he's done doing NCIS. Yeah. Which means now he gets to spend his money too. And same is gonna happen to same is gonna happen to Bacula. So you will never see him, you know, unless he spent all his money, you will never see him going on the convention circuit. You know why? He doesn't have to. I guess not. I think he has done some conventions actually. That's because he wasn't making the NCIS money yet. Because of uh, but of the because of the Star Trek and I mean uh, if you do a Star Trek and then also to a lesser extent a quantum leap, but that kind of like cult sci-fi show Mm -hmm. it's it's really hard to avoid the convention circuit and i think those Mm -hmm. those uh tend to pay pretty well when's the last time you've heard ll cool j come up with a new album i I, I he doesn't have to you know why because he has some ncis money exactly (laughs) i want some ncis money (laughs) the more we talk about it the more i realize i want some ncis money (laughs) 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 all right uh, but no, my my real recommendation, and I'm not surprised. I'm a little surprised that it's not getting kind of just unanimous glowing reviews. It seems to be getting generally positive reviews, but I've seen a lot of mixed ones where people are saying that they feel it's a little bland or that it's not you know as exciting as some of their earlier albums. But I 
fucking love the new gorillas. I just it the I, I know it's not the most impressive guest list that they've ever had. It definitely is is more of a Did they try to get LL Cool J? <laughs> no. Um Cause he doesn't have, he doesn't have to be on a gorilla's album because he's right oh but I mean it's such a tight album one of my complaints about gorilla's album sometimes is that they're so sprawling and mm-hmm. like there's there's a great core of like 10 to 12 songs and a few that I'm like yeah, I could do without this particular one and this only has the 10 core songs. All killer, no filler. I'm saying Cracker Island is fucking where it's at, man. <laughs> and which is apropos because Beck is on there as well. <laughs> yeah. If there's anyone who's going to be the king of Cracker Island, it's Beck. <laughs> I just, there's, they're, they're just a lot of really tight, great pop songs. I, I am somebody who really likes uh, Damon Albarn's voice quite a bit, actually. Mm-hmm. I think it's an undersung voice in pop music. Uh, and because it, it it's something where he he doesn't try to lose any of that British affectation, but for mm-hmm. some reason it still manages to be pleasing. Yeah. Um, but it sent me back to after I listened I listened to Cracker Island a couple of times, and then it made me want to put on the last Blur album, The Magic Whip. Um, and it it feels like it's a little bit more in that vein. It's 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 like the Gorillas kind of meeting that. Reunion Blur album, and also a little bit of that uh, Good, the Bad, and the Queen aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And both of those, those are like my fucking jam. That's that's the pocket that I, I love hearing Albarn in. And then you br- you pile the kind of Gorillaz aesthetic on top of it, and it's just, it's a chef's kiss of an album for me. Yeah. It just amazes me, too, that even like two decades later, that that, that group that just seemed like a one-off group well, it's this so, is it's so relevant. It's actually, I think it's there. It's, it's very apropos to be discussing this album in the context of what we just discussed, because yeah. this is another case where, at the center of it, it's Albarn, mm-hmm. from the music side of things. Anyway, obviously, there's the the artist. That's the other main. Jimmy Hewlett. Yeah, he of uh, of of Tank, Tank Girl. Girl fame. Yes, but. Um, Albarn again. He's you know he's always at the center of it, and he always manages to pull together this this very disparate group of of people and talents into something that that sounds that's that sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like if if you didn't have the the need to to comb through the the liner notes like I do, uh, you could go from one Gorillaz album to the next, just thinking this is a this is a, a a band. This is this is you know the same people all the time, and not this kind of revolving cast of characters mm-hmm. that's been that you know with the puppet master Albar and pulling their strings. <laughs> <laughs> so that's I mean th- that's that's my recommendation, my true recommendation for for the the episode is the new Gorillaz album, Cracker Island. The the uh, guest appearance of Stevie Nicks on on the track "Oil" um, is uh, not not necessarily the highlight, but it uh, it does go down a treat. It's nice to to hear her in there on that track, and uh, but overall, it's and it's you know we we talked about this with the with with the Arcade Fire 
Uh, this is definitely very much a, a song, or I mean, an album that's center, centered around social media and disconnecting from that sort of thing and how it's an evil of the world. But I like this album. And yeah. I don't like Arcade Fire albums. So <laughs> No, the thing is, like, that's so... I, I forget. Oh, it was the American Utopia album mm-hmm. with Byrne, with David Byrne. Yeah. Which is an album I like, but yeah. the themes it touches on have already been done by people who have been inspired by him, and after a while you get kind of tired of listening, like, yes, we know social media is bad. No, right. I don't need to hear your take on it. Um, though I do like the album, it just compares poorly to that. That definitely has an air of old man yells at cloud about it. Yeah. Whereas um, the um, the one he the the true soul album, the glass, concrete, and stone record, uh, falling uh, the backwards, falling backwards record that he did. Yeah. Um, it was just again like his just odd take on routine life. Um, feels more um, on point, and that's the one I uh, of all his solo records. You know, true solo records. Yeah, uh, that's probably the one I, I still go to the most. I really enjoy that record. Um, I just get tired of that. Like, yes, you and every other musician with with a budget. Yeah. We know an opinion. Yes, we all know it's bad, even though that's what you use to promote your bloody albums. Right. Uh, so anyway, but my recommendation, um, which we have on breakfast today, because seriously, anytime I have, um, over the last couple of weeks, have been nothing but basketball and mediocre movies with Jonathan Majors in them, <laughs> um, which is sad um, because I really like Jonathan Majors. Um, and, um, but I can't really recommend them movie basketball. Um, even though every game I've watched since the all-star game has been a fucking banger. Um, but, um, my highlight is cocaine bear because cocaine bear is exactly what it is. <laughs> it's a bear on cocaine. <laughs> it is a bear on coke. And the wacky shit that happens when a bear is on coke. And now here's the thing I did not realize about this um, about this movie. Um, obviously, it's directed by um, the very lovely and talented Elizabeth Banks. Yes, it stars Carrie Russell, Ray Liotta, and what is to believe. Oh, yeah, his I have last... a little bit of a crush on Carrie Russell. I might need to go see it just. For yeah, that. you might have to go see it because of her, even though she's you know fully clothed. Um, Doesn't matter. <laughs> um. But it has Carrie Russell, it has Ray Liotta, it has um, Young Han Solo, Alden Aaron Aaron Reich. Wow, is that the first like major thing he's done since Solo? I think he did that Peacock show for a while too, uh, Brave New World. So that's the biggest thing he's done since Han since Han Solo. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and um, O'Shea Jackson Jr. Uh, okay, Ice Cube's kid, um, and. Um, it's, I mean, yes, there's a computer-generated bear um, on Coke. They did a CGI bear? It's got they didn't put a real bear on Coke? Man, that's what's wrong with fucking Hollywood today. They're not putting real bears on real Coke. <laughs> right? I mean, it's just lying around. 
<laughs> I'm sure. Um, but so here, the thing I didn't know about was that it's a produced by the Lord Miller team, the people who brought oh. you the Jump Street movies and the Lego movie, right? And the Lego movies and um, the Chance of Meatball movies and the Spider Man, Spider Verse movies. Um, so, but uh, not solo, right? Because didn't they get fired off? Of they solo? got fired off a of solo. <laughs> Interesting. So I think I think they've made. Uh, I think they uh, maybe threw Alden Ehrenreich a bone, like on. Oh sure, yeah. We're sorry we fucked up your career. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I mean, who's the one who has the final credit on that? Ron Howard. So blame Ron Howard. <clears throat> yeah, I. We're, we're sorry that we left you with Opie. And, and fucking Lawrence Kasdan, because he's grown all precious about what his Star Wars is, right? So, yeah. And then managed to ruin, a, a, just or just throw out a needless movie about a beloved character. Yeah. And it, it, it's, got, yeah. But please continue. Cocaine bear. Bear on cocaine. Yeah. So there's a bear on cocaine. And yes, it's gory. It's thrilling. It's fun. It's. Um, Margot Mondale Scardass. Um, it's um, you've seen Bojack Horseman, right? No, I've never seen that show. Oh, I love that show. I know over the years, uh, you know, it's its reputation has been tarnished a little bit, but um, there's, so? a, there's a run. <laughs> no, I seriously don't know. So? Oh, because Allison Brie voices an Asian American character. Um, yeah, that would be bad. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the main reason. Is that the only reason? It's not I, I like... think it might be. Uh, there, Rick and there and might Morty be some, is, uh... some jokes that have aged poorly as well. Yeah, because Rook and Morty is like going through a reckoning right now. Which well, because seen... of that douchebag with... Uh, Royland. Yeah. 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 Uh, but there's a running, there's a running joke, a, a running gag through there of, of character actress Margot Martindale appearing. <laughs> Um, but it's it's exactly what you think it is, and um, it doesn't really exceed beyond that, and it's kind of um, refreshing this day and age a little bit. I mean, plus it's a barren cocaine. Yeah. Um, and it's like the best. What could be bad about that? <laughs> I mean, depends. Are you the bear? <laughs> or are you the cocaine? <laughs> or are you the person looking at the bear on cocaine? And <laughs> um, either way, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit um, just because of the sheer audacity of it all. Um, but, uh, you know, um, it's like um, Elizabeth Banks has had an interesting career. Yeah. I, I put it this way. Um, have you ever seen the movie The Edge with oh, yeah. Bowen and I love that movie. Think of it as that movie if Sam Raimi directed it. Oh, and that's that's fucking interesting, man. Like where I'm headed with that? Yeah. 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 Now, I, now we're cooking with gas. Okay. That that might that might have sold me on it because I I really like the the edge. I I think that's an underrated film. I think that's a that's a great Mammoth script and probably does better for the fact that Mammoth didn't direct it. Um, yeah. But Hopkins and and Baldwin are great in it. Um, El McPherson. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anyway, yeah, my wife's listening. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I love you. Where, where were we? So, yeah. Um, I have no such apologies to have to make to anybody because I'm all alone. Um, <laughs> so, fuck you. Womp, womp. <laughs> There, did that take care of alienating everybody? All right. Um, but yeah, so you cocaine sound, bear. You just sounded like Al Pacino at the end <laughs> of uh, Sound of a Woman. Yeah. If I, if I were a younger man, <laughs> I'd take a flamethrower to this place. <laughs> <laughs> and Charlie, or Charlie's, uh, and the other guys... <laughs> Fuck you too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our recommendations are Cracker Island and Cocaine Bear. Uh, what's is there? It's, is that a buddy cop movie? Cracker Island and Cocaine Bear. <laughs> cocaine Bear on Cracker Island. Here's your sequel. There, there we go. Damon Albarn, get on it. <laughs> oh, the the other fun thing about Cocaine Bear. Um, speaking of which, since we're going to tie this into music, is that um, it obviously takes place during the 80s. And Mark Mother's Ball of Devo does. The oh, score. nice. I, I'm i a really big fan of Mother's Ball's film, film scores. Yeah. And he kind of like nails the time and the place um, really that's well awesome. musically. That, that's fantastic. So. All yeah. right. Well, that's that. Thank you all for listening, as always. Uh, what are we covering next? Uh, uh, oh, it's the second Lucifer. Uh, Lucifer album, Born Again in the USA. With uh, a guest star. That's right. Mr. Chris Ayers. Yeah. Two, worlds are colliding. Two podcasts coming together. Special crossover episode. It's a crossover episode. Crisis on the Infinite Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I look forward to that. And until... <laughs> <laughs> what did we find on the web? Is there Crisis on Infinite Podcast? No, it was occasionally Siri looks stuff up for me when I don't ask her to. <laughs> she must have looked up the DC. I thought you said your wife listens to this podcast. <laughs> she's been no, listening. Siri, I didn't want to look that up. I didn't want to look she's that been, up. My wife's been listening the whole time. Her name is Siri. Oh, well, uh, hey, we might... Might need to have a discussion about that. That sounds like a whole Simone situation. Uh, no. uh, or her. Yeah. Um, anyway, where was I? Ending the show. So, yes. Uh, thanks, as always, for listening. We'll talk about Lucifer's uh, Born Again in the USA next time with special guest Chris Ayers. And we'll, uh, until then, please subscribe and uh, follow, and, whatever, yeah. all that kind of thing. And we'll catch you on the flippity flop. <laughs> Platter peeps. Keep it real, Platter peeps. <laughs>